We are starting the third month of our four-month series today on TGIF. We talked about truth, we talked about godliness, and this month we're going to talk about influence. Next month we're going to talk about finishing strong. And so I hope you'll stick around for the next two months to see how this all wraps up. But influence is probably the month that I've really been looking forward to the most. The, uh, the, and, and our buffer video that we have, there's just something about this picture of these little flowers just stretching out for that source of what influences them for growth and strength. And I love this video, and I've, I've watched it since it was sent to me a lot. I've watched it so much, and you know, when I think about foundation, the thing that we build our lives on, and the things that influence us, I think this is a great illustration, because of all the things that we're going to be talking about this month, we need to set an example, or we need to be an influence to those around us, in speech, in life, in love, faith, in purity, just to name a few. And when I think about influence and being a Christian, I see it this way. Think about the buffer video you just watched, those little seeds sprouting up, springing out. You see, God's Word, it's black and white, but it's also very colorful. And the things and the people that influence us, it can be good or bad. The, the foundation, the soil that we allow to grow, our, that we allow ourselves to grow in can be good or bad. I believe that like a well-grown garden, we thrive in community when we are influenced by the Son, Jesus, that Son. I know I'm talking garden and, tree and Christian, so, you know, we're talking, when, we, when we are influenced by the Son, and, and again, for plants, they're influenced by the Son. <laughs> I think we thrive in community when we are influenced by Jesus. As for you and I, if we don't follow the Son, Jesus, we will not grow and thrive. We will not have the influence on our community that we should have as Christians. If we don't grow and thrive in God's Word, if we don't grow and thrive through prayer, if we don't grow and thrive through being involved in each other's lives, then we're not influenced by the Son. We're not influenced by the right thing. And at best, we'll lead people based on wrong influences in our lives. And when we allow the world to influence us and not the Son to influence us, not only will we wither because we're not fed by Jesus, we're not fed by His Word, like fertilizer is to the ground. The Word of God feeds us that same way. When we're not watered by the living Word, by His living water, when we do that as individuals, when we're not doing that as individuals, I think we risk that the whole garden community that is the church will die out very slowly. And I think if you look at our culture, if you look at our world, if you look at our, our history, if you look at the United States, you'll see some of that is happening now because we, we are not seeking the right influences. And so our community that is the church is dying out very slowly. I believe that what influences us can either build us up spiritually and physically or it can hurt us spiritually and physically. I also believe that when we allow God's Son, Jesus, to be the shining light in our lives, that just like these little flowers in the video can grow and bloom where they are planted, we can do the same thing. My favorite part of this video is right here. It's this little black and white picture at the end, and these little flowers are all leaning toward the light. And, and I think 
the church as a whole, I think we're like this. We're, we're, we're like, but there's, there's this one little flower that's like, he's stretching out as close to the window as he can get. He's like, bring, I want all the light. I want all the sun. I want all of us to be like this little tiny flower. When, when you leave here this week, later I'm going to tell you, go to win and, and commit to grow. And when you commit to grow, I want you to commit like that. That's all in commitment right there for that little flower. And in my mind, I think, because I think like this, this little flower, he's influencing all those other little flowers to, to go the same direction. I want you all to be my little flowers. <laughs> I want you to grow where you're at. I want you to dig deep with your roots. I want you to, to grow where you're planted and, and to lean towards the source, which for us is Jesus Christ. I think that, he, he's like I say, he's just trying to get as close to that main source. As we talk about influence this month, um, I, like I said, I want you to be one of those little flowers. We're in this series, and you're going to be reminded throughout this month that what you draw near to, what you draw nearest to, is the thing that's going to influence you the most. And if, and if you turn what you draw nearest to, or in turn, what you draw nearest to will determine how you influence others. And this morning, we're going to focus in on how we influence people, how we influence others with speech, with the things we say, the words that come out of our mouth. When the Bible talks about how we should speak to one another and to others, and we're going to look at that today, but I want to start off by sharing something interesting with you guys. As I looked at, I, I said, I'm going to start this off. I said, I'm going to do a word study on influence. I was surprised. I could only find one place in the Bible that the word influence is used. It's a word we use a lot in Christian words, in churchy words. How are you influencing others? How are others influencing you? And as I went through the scripture, I could find it used in one place. Job chapter 38, verse 31. And it's, it's God. He says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or lose the cord, loose the cords of Orion? In the King James Version, it says this. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? Now, what you need to understand here, that word influences in Hebrew, it, it, the word that's used there is mahad anah. Say that with me. I'm going to teach you a word. Maharana. You got it. Maharana. There you go. It's, I taught you a Hebrew word. It means influence. And that's the only place that Maharana is found in all of Scripture. And I thought that was interesting because when I think of people who had influence, I think of Job because he, he was a great man. And God allowed Satan to sift him. See, Satan thought that Job only revered God because all of the things that he had been blessed with. But even when Satan attacked Job on so many levels, Job would not curse God. Now think about this for a second. Job had the, the undivided attention of his wife and his I think, three best friends. And when his, friend, his wife said to him, just curse God and die, he refused. He, he had an opportunity to, to strike out with his words in anger at God. And he told his wife, no, that's not what this is about. That's not going to happen. He gives, he takes away. I'm going to praise him. Uh, and he said, no. And no matter what Job experienced, his speech was solid about God. Yes, he asked many questions. And, and as he had conversation with his friends, they were trying to figure some things out. And what I love about Job chapter 38 especially is it's God's response to Job after being silent 
throughout the conversations between Job and his friends. Kind of like a parent. You let your, your kids or your grandkids go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then you're going to step in and go, no, it's like this. And that's what I love about this chapter 38 in Job. God doesn't answer their questions about Job's guilt or innocence, but rather he speaks about the created order, and he, can, he contrasts that of what God can do with what humans are able to do. And all through the book, Job had been hoping for an audience with God. He wanted answers directly from God. His wife and friends, they connected his suffering with some sins. They, they even asked him, are, are there sins you've committed that you don't know about? I think that's kind of an oxymoron. It, you know, Job, have you sinned? No, I haven't. Are there sins you've committed you don't know about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I, and so they're trying, they're doing everything to figure out why all this is happening to Job. He lost his kids. He lost his farms. He lost his houses. He lost everything. And Job just wants God to straighten this out. In Job's mind, he's like, okay, if I'm innocent, then God should acquit me. If I'm guilty, then God should tell me what my offense is so that I can confess and repent and change and maybe end all this suffering. The unique thing in chapter 38 of the book of Job, God does not declare Job either innocent or guilty. He kind of changes the subject on him, though. He begins to talk about the wonders of the world that God created. He reminds Job that it was him. It was God who formed the earth, who set its structure, who put bounds to keep the sea under control, who created all the heavenly bodies. And it's God who even controls the weather. And all through this conversation, God reminds Job that we are just mere humans and we could never accomplish all the things that God has done. Man has no influence over God or creation. And that's what that verse is talking about to Job. God, God's saying, uh, I guess you could ask, what's the purpose of this creation talk? Because Job remains in the dark about why, why he's even suffering. He still doesn't know. I think sometimes we form questions for God. And when the answer comes, it doesn't deal directly with the questions that we raised. I preached a while back about sometimes we ask for things we want, but then God gives us what we need. Jesus was, was speaking in a room and some men opened up the roof and lowered their friend down and they wanted their friend to be healed and instead Jesus forgave him of his sin. <laughs> Wasn't quite what he was looking for. He was questioned and then he ended up actually physically healing the man. But it's that same kind of thing is happening here with God and Job. Job's wanting some answers and God's answering a question differently than how it was asked. Job and his friends have been trying to answer a question that they could never really solve and the reality is Sometimes they're just things we're not meant to understand on this side of heaven. So, how do you explain Job's suffering? God advises Job to recognize the human limits and trust that God will take care of what Job and the others cannot know or do. And I think that's impressive because I think this creation talk between God and Job suggests that we can look for signs of God's work in the created world the plant growing, clouds, the power of a storm, the order of seasons, waves, the beauty of trees and flowers and lakes and mountains. All these things point to a benevolent creator who made and sustains the world. And we should trust in the creator and his word to influence us rather than, rather than trust in the things that man has created for our influence. And I think that's a, a key part to that conversation with God and Job where God says, you don't have influence over the things I've created. The unique thing about Job is he endured all the suffering. And through all that, he never spoke bad of God. He endured things that 
I think truly we will never understand. And yet his speech, the things that he said during this time, while in physical pain, while in mental pain and anguish at the loss of family, he influenced his friends with speech that was good toward God. He had questions. There were things he never understood, but he never spoke poorly of God. I think we can learn a lot from Job in this situation. And, and maybe our speech would be a better influence for our friends and our family and our co-workers. Because the reality is, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's happening in your job, whatever's happening with your health, whatever's happening in, in your little piece of the world, God already knows. Nothing surprises Him. Nothing surprises God, Job. But what pleases God is when we allow His love, His strength, His word to encourage us and to influence us no matter what season of life we're in. Satan's whole premise with Job, hey, you take away his family, he'll curse you, God. No, he won't. You take away all, all his land, all his, all his buildings, he'll curse you, God. God said, no, he won't. Job allowed God to still be an influence in his life during the good and the bad. And, and when you fast forward to the end of Job, God restored to him all the things that had been taken, which I think is an amazing testimony to what happens when we allow our God to influence us. I also want to look at some advice that Paul gives Timothy in the New Testament about influence. And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Someone asked me, they said, what, if you had to put a verse on this whole month, what would it be? And I said, probably 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity... Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teachings. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Did you catch that part in verse 12? In speech, show yourself an example of those who believe. See, I want us to set an example to be an influence in the way we speak. There, there's a saying for preaching. It says, preach, preach the word and if you have to, or sorry, preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. That's how it goes. Same thing. We say people should know we are Christians by our love, but when we speak, it should be made very clear who we serve and who we love and who we are a reflection of. We need to pay close attention to ourselves, to, uh, to the teachings that we allow to be heard. He says, persevere in these things. That's what he's saying in verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself. All right? That, that means when somebody comes alongside of you to be accountable for something, you don't get to say, well, take the plank out of your own eye before you're taking the speck out of mine. You don't get to say that. When someone comes alongside you to give you a little bit of wisdom on something that maybe you're stumbling through or something you're having a hard time with, you get to say, hey, thanks for helping me pay attention to myself. See, sometimes in, in Christianity, we get so busy paying attention to everybody else and making sure that we outshine them, we forget to pay attention to ourselves. 
well, I'm not doing what Rick does, so that means I'm pretty awesome. I don't, I don't dress the way someone else dresses, so I look really good and modest. We get so caught up in paying attention to everybody else. And as long as I'm a step ahead of you, spiritually speaking, then I must be doing okay. That's not what God wants, and that's not what's being said here. Pay close attention to yourself, to your teaching. Pay close attention to the things that you're telling your kids and your grandkids about Jesus and about the Bible and about God's Word. Pay close attention to the things that you're telling your co-workers, fellow students. Whatever your circle is that, that you have the most influence in, we need to pay close attention to what we're saying because as a reflection of Christ, we want to make sure that we're the best reflection we can be. He says, persevere in these things, for as you do, this will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. You see, we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But the reality is the things we say, our words, they carry a lot of weight. Our speech can build up someone or tear them down. You can help someone grow with your words or your words can, can beat somebody down to where they don't even want to come out of the house. I think about um, Thursday and we had that storm that came through here. And, and I was joking when Mitzi said to me, she goes, man, our little flowers in the front garden took a beating. And it's like, you know what? It's, it's just like this. They, they do. They look rough. That weather took them down a notch. It's the same way in how we speak. I can say things and we can talk to one another and we can lift each other up. Or we can say things and you'll just be beat down like a flower after the storm. We have flower pots turned upside down on our porch, all kinds. Not that they were growing in those flower pots, but now there's dirt on my porch. <laughs> but, but it's like that's, that's how our words are. They carry a lot more impact, especially when they're directed at children and at, at young people than what we give them credit for. Um, I want to challenge us to just be careful what we say. The things we say carry a lot of weight. We can tear up or tear down or build up. And the reality is, whether we want it or not, in order to be a good influence, we need accountability with one another in the words that come out of our mouths. We need accountability, Christians, so that we can be a positive influence to those around us in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. By the way, those are the focal points for our influence series this week, this month, in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. One of the ways that we engage in accountability here at Huntsville Christian Church is through our leadership. Our elders and our deacons, they both have different roles in kingdom work, but they both are called to set an example to influence us in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so at this time, we're going to pause right here in the middle of our worship time, and we're going to have an ordination and installation service for Andrew Harris, our newest deacon, and for Mark Elder, Mark Henry, our newest elder. Sorry. <laughs> I had it written right. I just, it came out wrong. I'm sorry, boss. Okay. <laughs> so, Mark and Andrew, if you guys would come on up, if the elders would also uh, come on up and join Mark and Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I promise I won't squelch out, Peter. So I'm going to share some things with you about elders and deacons. And then here in just a second, as a congregation, you're going to have a couple of responses. Don't worry. 
I studied for you. We put your response up on the, on the projection here. Um, we're going to ask a few questions of Mark and Andrew. Uh, here's how it goes, folks. Jesus is the Lord of his church and, and founded upon the conviction that he is the Son of God. We are redeemed by his blood. We are nourished on his word. We are upheld by his intercession. And the church is his body. And we are commissioned to do his will. Christ did not set up his church and then abandon it. Rather, he sent his Holy Spirit to guide the apostles into all truth so that the body would have all it needed to do the work Christ intended and also to be protected from those forces which would destroy her. Elders were named in each congregation and given oversight in spiritual matters. Paul speaks of the responsibility in his charge to the elders from the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says to them, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. An elder's work may include preaching and teaching, as in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It may include praying with the sick, as in James chapter 5, verse 14. Shepherding the flock, the example there is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. And from the same passages, serving as a good influence. The word deacon means servant, and perhaps the word itself offers the best description of the deacon's ministry. As the elders minister to the spiritual needs of the flock, so the deacons minister to its material needs. When a complaint arose in the Jerusalem church that certain widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, the church selected seven men, and the apostles turned the responsibility over to them. That's the example we have in Acts chapter 6. The immediate and practical solution pleased everyone. The widow's needs were met. The apostles were able to concentrate upon prayer and teaching. A division was healed and the church increased in numbers rapidly. And so it is today. The various ministries in the church complement each other and benefit the whole. The elders see to it that the gospel is preached, taught, and lived. That prayer is continuous. That Christian love and a spirit of unity prevail. That workers are selected and trained and that the straying are brought back into the fold and that the kingdom of Christ extends even abroad. Deacons see to the physical matters of the church. The facilities are available, that facilities are available and equipped, that property is well maintained, that financial affairs are to be above reproach, and that no one in the congregation is suffering due to lack of food or clothing or shelter. And both together strive to be a positive influence in the church and in the community, in speech, in life, in love, faith, and purity. And so we have come together today to set apart those that we have selected to serve this congregation as its elders and its deacons. Right now, I'd like to just pause and ask God's blessing on what we do this, this morning, that his name will be honored and his will be done. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, as we come to a time as we have selected and now appoint Andrew Harris as a deacon and Mark Henry as one of the elders of, of Huntsville Christian Church, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to be with these men. They will have wisdom and discernment. I know they both have a heart to, to serve and protect your flock, and we're grateful for that. And so as we grow together in the coming years, I pray that we will serve well, that we will be a, a strong influence on the congregation and on this community. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Mark, I'd like to start with you, but first I have to ask the, the congregation a few questions about you. Don't worry, I gave them the answers. Have you, members of this community of Christian believers, 
seeking the guidance of divine wisdom, chosen the man who now stands before you to be an elder in our congregation and oversee the spiritual welfare of our church. Thank you. Do you wish for him to be set apart to shepherd this flock as elders tended the flock of God in the early church? And will you promise to encourage and honor him in all things consistent with the word of God and zealously aid him in the discharge of his responsibilities? Thank you very much. Mark, have you prayerfully considered the responsibility and the obligation which the office that you are called to to fill carries with it? Thank you. Do you, with a just appreciation of these responsibilities and obligations, accept this office? And finally, will you promise that always seeking divine help, you will faithfully perform the duties of elder, studiously endeavor it to learn and to do the things that will make for the peace, purity, and spiritual growth of this congregation. Yes, I will. Thank you. Andrew, I have questions for the congregation about you. Do you, the members of this church, having sought divine guidance, choose the brother standing before you to be a deacon in our congregation and to perform the ministry of service as was done in the early church? Yes. Will you encourage and honor him and give your hearty support as he discharges his responsibilities? Andrew, have you prayerfully considered the responsibilities and the obligations of the office you are called to fill that it carries with it? And do you accept the office of deacon in this church and promise that you will faithfully endeavor to discharge the duties thereof so as to promote the interest of the congregation and the cause of truth and righteousness? All right. At this time, the elders are going to pray, lay hands, and uh, pray over Mark and Andrew. Do you guys want a microphone or do you just want to? All right. Join them in praying for our new elder and deacon. Guys, stay right here for just a second. Andrew, you can go ahead and have a seat. But as, as I was doing this series on influence, starting it off, especially with speech, I thought it was very fitting to bring the ordination of these two men into this process. Um, as you can see, the elders are here. And as we come into our response time this morning, every week I always say to you, the elders are here. If you'd like to uh, have prayer, they'd love to pray with you. And you just have to come on up. Well, today you don't have to come up alone because they're right here. And so I don't, I don't know where you're at, I don't know where you're going, but as we, as we kind of transition to our response time, the elders are here and they really would love to pray with you. If you'd like some encouragement, prayer or accountability with something that you're going through in life right now or with whatever it looks like for you to be a better influence at home or in your community, I want to encourage you to come up here in just a second. We've got a place across the hall. You don't have to say anything public. You can just walk up and say, hey, will someone go pray with me? And we've got a spot where the elders will pray with you. You can let them know what's going on in your life. 
And maybe for you, the start of being a better influence is, is baptism, and you want, have, would like to know more about that. Um, for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptistry is ready. And, and if you're not at that step, again, the elders would love to talk with you about what that looks like in your life. Maybe you'd like to join Huntsville Christian Church to serve with us as we, in turn, influence our community around us. Whatever your response is this morning, will you stand with us at this time and sing our response song and respond to God's word accordingly? Uh, I was saying, (laughs) influence happens in all different areas. Peter, do you need to run back there and do that so Lorna can come up here? She's got it. Okay. You want me to play the guitar? No, we're good. Man! We're good. Talk about influence. Man! We love you. Thanks. You have to know what you're able to do. It's been great to be here with you all. I say that every Sunday morning. It truly is great to worship with you. And this morning to have the privilege to appoint two brothers into church leadership positions with you. But now it's time for us to go to win and commit to grow. Speaking of commit to grow, I'm always encouraged when men step up into leadership for service at the church. I want to make sure that we all understand just because these two men and others have stepped up to be elders and deacons and trustees and and things of that nature. It doesn't mean that the rest of us don't have anything to do. Just a few minutes ago, you all said that you will encourage and honor these men, and give your hearty support as they discharge their responsibilities in shepherding and serving. So look around, because now we all get to be accountable with each other, because you guys said it, and we have it on a recording. Uh, (laughs) Actually, though, if you are a Christian, we all really have the same responsibility to influence others in the church and in the community, in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. As you go this week, I want to encourage you to think of the areas in your life where you can grow and bloom right here where you're planted. God has you here for a reason. He has you at that job, at that school, at that place for a reason. Think of the ways you can bloom and grow there and be a reflection of Him. And as you go to win this week, commit to grow by spending time in God's Word and in prayer so that you can be an influence for Him in speech, life, faith, and purity. Will you sing this last song with us?